I'm in a series called Family. I started three weeks ago. And uh, it is just what I believe God has laid on my heart. We're going to go to the scripture we've been looking at since January. This has been our formidable scripture. We've, we've introduced it every week. Jesus called out to them in Matthew 4, 19, come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Here's the thought. The most important people you'll ever fish for is the legacy of your family. There's nobody more important than your family. Wives, there's nobody more important than your husband. Husbands, there's nobody more important than your wife. If I can destroy the family, I can destroy a generation. The enemy knows the greatest way to take down the kingdom of God is to destroy families. So, so powerful is the family that the New Testament will say that the marriage relationship of the husband and wife is the mirror image of Christ's love for the church. So there's no denying that when we say family, we're talking not only natural, but supernatural. There's a power to family. There's great things that happen, but yet we live in a generation. I watched a video this week, a generation where families are broken, where statistically it's almost off the charts, staggering of how many people come from broken homes. It's almost we know more broken homes than we do nuclear homes. The father's missing, the mother's missing, divorce hit them, maybe death caught them a tragedy and so a parent is out of the home. Maybe the father was never there, the father tapped out long before marriage, but he was your biological donor to get you here, but you may have never known him. And so the question becomes, like, what is family? And that was what I said on week one. What is it? How do you define it? It's so different for all of us. And so it's very difficult when you, you say family, especially standing here trying to talk today. It's very difficult to think you could say something that could touch everybody when we all bring our own thing to the table. And by that, I mean the good, the bad, and the ugly. We bring how we were raised, how, how, when I say family, how daddy treated mama, how you watch them fight. In most marriages, they fight, you know, hopefully they fight well and not unwell. But if you're in a marriage together, you'll argue. You'll have to have disagreements. But even that is typically much less how the Bible teaches it and much more how we were raised or what we saw. Maybe we saw daddy slam doors and cuss at mama, so we naturally just present that as we move through our life, or we run the opposite way, like, I will never do that. And we run the opposite way. So it's very difficult to define it. As I said, week one, we've got all kind of families, we've got all kind of definitions, but we did land on that the one thing we could say about family, it's a legacy of souls, whether that's exes or children or in-laws or it's that every person connected to you is a soul and every soul has a story and every soul connected to you has influenced you in some way whether we like that or not everyone within your family structure and I would say close family has impacted you in some way You've watched how they've handled life and it's impacted you. Maybe it's conversations over dinner. Maybe it's being ignored. Maybe dad worked a lot, never was home. Mom was never home, whatever. But we can say that, that being in the environment influences all of us. We're all influenced. 
Now, the issue becomes that we hope when we talk family that we can uh, be influencers for the good and not the bad. And so what I want to do today is not necessarily preach a sermon to you, because that would, would almost be impossible to throw one sermon and hope you can fit everybody. But it's to give you a plan. So I, I ask myself this question. Is there a one plan fits all scenario for us in this room? Now, on the surface, we would say no, because we need different things for everybody because we all have different issues. Some of us are at a crisis and some of us aren't. Some of us are doing great. Some of us has already gone through the brokenness. So when we ask, is there a one plan fits all, we, we would probably answer superficially no. But that would be the same as asking, is there... Are there, is there a plan that I could do for my automotive, my vehicle, that could fit every vehicle? And we would say, well, you know, every vehicle has its mechanics in the way that the, the dealer wants you to bring it in to be serviced, whether that's every 20,000 or 100,000 miles. But whether you ever take it to service, there's things that we all better do or else. You better put gas in it. It doesn't matter how much faith you have without gas, it doesn't matter if it's a Mercedes or a Toyota, it's going nowhere. You better change the oil. Come on, somebody. Whether that's every 3,000 or every 30,000, you better change it or the engine's going to seize on you. You better keep air in the tires. Well, I got real quiet. I was, I was, waiting on a, was waiting on an amen there because a lot of you are riding around with a little thing that says your tires are flat. You're okay with that. You're like, I don't care. I haven't wrecked yet. I don't have time to put air in the tires. But there's things that I think we would agree that no matter what model car you drive, the, there's some very stable things you can do to make the longevity of that car valuable to you and to make it less critical to wreck or run out of gas on 285 or whatever it would be. And if you ever just want to increase your faith for this, you're more than welcome to ride around with Robin because she rides around on empty all the time. It's, it's her faith statement to God. It's sitting there going zero miles. And I said, honey, it's zero miles. She goes, oh, I've got plenty. I'm like, oh, okay. So if you just want to increase your faith, ride with her. You're more than welcome. We'll sell tickets and you can just ride with her. Because it's the most incredible amount of faith I've ever seen in my life. I get down to about 20 miles, I'm hunting, not her. Two days driving on zero. So I ask myself, is there a plan that fits it? Now, what I'd like to say to this, and you know me, I'm not a psychotherapist. I'm not a marriage counselor. I've not been trained professionally for such. However, I think I have a little credence to speak to the topic of family. I've been married 33 years, four children. Uh, and so I think Robin and I have some history and some seasoning that we can bring to the table and say 30 years of living together, raising kids, we can present to you things we've learned. She's, she's trained educationally. She has a psychology degree. So she's on a, another level of training with how she can work to counsel and help people. However, I also say, I think the what I share with you today bears weight because for 30 years I have pastored 
And though I'm not professionally trained as a counselor, the 30 years of talking with people, and I think I've added it up just on average, it's about 5,600 people that I've talked with. Uh, so, and that's on the low end because it's phone calls, it's ER trips, it's being in the hospital, funerals, it's counseling, it's working through life, it's kids that have rebelled, it's uh, burying children, burying loved ones, it's marriages falling apart. So over those 30 years, I have a lot of um, seasoning, talking it out with people, trying to help them. And so what I would love to do today is present a plan to you that, uh, and if you want the notes, the notes will be uploaded on the QR code, usually by Tuesday. So you can download all these notes right on the QR code. And at the end, I'm going to give you six things that you will be able to, at the end of this lesson, six things that you'll be able to look at and check off, am I doing well here? So again, it's not a sermon, it's more of a class on looking at a plan that will work for everybody in the room, whether you're married young, married long time, fighting, threatening divorce, or doing great. It'll work for all of us. And here's what I've landed on and why. This scripture intrigues me in 2 Timothy 1. It states this, Jesus saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, come on, but because of his own purpose and grace. And this grace was given us in Christ Jesus, and I highlighted this in blue, and then the N word in pink. This grace was before the beginning of time. That's powerful. Like grace didn't come after you blew it. Because people will say, well, why did Jesus create us knowing, God create us knowing we would blow it? You're thinking backward there. You're thinking that he thought we were going to do great and then we blew it. And he's like, oh, I need a plan. Grace. Grace was before the beginning of time. So the, the remedy was already in place before the rebellion ever happened. So when we say, well, why would God make humans that would rebel? I'm like, he, it wasn't that he made humans that would rebel. He made humans so he could reveal something that already existed. And that was grace. So when I read this, it, it dawned on me, if grace existed before the beginning of time, that means that there was a plan in place before there was ever a problem. Come on. There was a plan in place before there was ever a problem. Now the issue with, I'm going to specifically talk to marriages today. We'll, we'll hit it all later. But specifically to marriages, we usually wait for the problem before we get a plan. And then the plan will usually include attorneys, friends, enemies. Because once the problem hits, we start scrambling. And we wonder, how in the world did we ever get here? Well, you got here because you had no plan. You've just been drifting along on love, and everybody that's been married a long time knows love stinks after a little while. You better have a direction you're going. Because somewhere in this journey together, you'll look over and go, Lord, I married them? And they tolerate, what did they see in me? And the one thing about being married is you see yourself. Because marriage reveals you. You ever want to know who you are, marry somebody because it will expose your problem. 
It will expose the weakest areas of your life. Now, when it does, when marriage exposes the weak areas, we have several options. We can get a plan for it. We can overcome it. We can ignore it. We can put walls up or we can just act like it doesn't even exist and blame the spouse for all their problems and never really fix anything. So as I was praying over how do you present a plan, this scripture resonated and I want to go to the time before time began. And I want to give you a plan for your family and your marriage today. Verse 10 of the same scripture, Timothy says, but now it's been revealed. In other words, God's never trying to hide anything from you. He revealed through the repairing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who's destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to life. So know this about any plan of God that exists for our lives, for our family or marriages. The end goal is the green and the blue. He's trying to get you to life, and he's trying to bring to light the things that are hindering that. A lot of times we say, well, I don't know. I thought my marriage would be. I thought he would be. I thought she would be. I thought kids would be. And what we mean by that is that this obscurity of darkness is taking over because we're not seeing life. The kids are rebelling right now. My husband, I feel like he's cheating right now. The marriage is on rot, so that little green word life doesn't feel like it's manifesting in my life. And one thing I've noticed, any time that it feels like life is not working, you find yourself in a dark hole. You find yourself becoming negative and critical, longing for another life, longing for another relationship. Uh, That's when flirting takes place. That's when uh, affairs begin to happen. We become critical. What happens is we cease to look at life and we, we begin to let the darkness take over. Now, this is true with everybody in the room. Regardless of who we are, there was a plan put in place before humans ever got here, and that must have included you and must have included me. So what I did, for those of you that went to my Genesis course, there is a class that I taught 30 weeks, I believe, on the book of Genesis. It's in-depth, so it's not shallow. You'll have to sit and listen. But I did about 30 weeks, and it's on our YouTube channel. You can click the green card, and it'll take you there. So what I'm going to do today is intro you into something that's a lot deeper than just the superficial side I'm going to give to you today. And, but I'm giving you the kind of the superficial side so that you can have a plan. And you can start putting it into practice. So what I did, if there was a plan in place before the beginning of time, this is what I wrote down. There was a grace and a purpose for life that existed before time ever began. So let me just say this to you. No matter what problem you're in right now, there's hope. Amen. I got amen yet. I'm going to turn this way. <laughs> Whatever problem you're in right now, there's hope. Amen. That's good. Got both sides now. Yeah, there's hope, right? Like I know when you're fighting, you don't feel like there's hope. I know when you're arguing, you don't feel hopeful when there's an argument, when you disagree over something, you, you get frustrated, you, you lose sight that there, there's always been an answer because I feel like many times in marriages, we feel like we're the only people struggling with this. But let me help you. There's not one thing you could sit in front of me at any given moment and talk to me about that I wouldn't be able to say, let me tell you a story about another family that went through the same thing. But we we like to think it's unique. Like my husband is unique. No, he's not. He, he, trusts me, he's not. He's not. Women, a little unique. Men, they're not. They're just, 
I'll teach about that when we talk about husbands and wives, but I'll leave that alone right now. But it's going to be funny. So, <laughs> so here's what I'm going to talk about today briefly. I want to talk about family, and what I mean by that is grace has been unveiled for you. So if you're hurting today, if you're distraught, if you're confused, if you're wondering, can I stay married to this fella? Will our marriage work? I don't know if I trust my husband anymore. I feel like I've lost some trust and I feel like we, we, our intimacy is at an all-time low. Things aren't working. We're just existing. We, we're kind of roommates. We pay the bills together, but we have no real connection together. I pray that this helps you today. Let's go to it. Here we go. We're going to stay the entire time. Here's, here's the plan. We're going to stay the entire time in Genesis 1. And what we're going to do, if there was a plan in place before the beginning of time, what becomes interesting is this. This is the thinking. If, if Adam and Eve are the image of God, why would God put his image at the last day instead of the first day? Why would God hold off the pinnacle of creation to his last day versus just going, let me start with the pinnacle of my creation? Now, what it's going to teach me, the reasoning is, is because every day, one through six, we would call the days that God created creation. Every day, I need you to think this way. It is an unveiling of grace. So don't just see it as, well, on this day this happened, because what we're, what we're seeing is that there was this grace plan, and every day is an introduction to a little more of that grace. Because God would be unfair to put humans here first when grace has not been unveiled. They would be on their own, trying to figure it out. So what God did is he figured it all out. Then he put him here and said, trust me, because I've already figured it all out. I thought about everything you could ever need before you ever got here. So think this way about God and your marriage today. Everything that you need, God already knew and has in place before your problem ever existed. We've just got to connect you to that answer. Otherwise, your car breaks down, you become frustrated, you, you tap out, you go to the attorneys and get a divorce. So let's start with it. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to, here's the plan. I'm going to introduce you to each day. Each day is a revelation of unveiling of grace. But that shows me what God expects for me to be successful when I show up. On day six. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1 verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering above the waters. So we're introduced to the very first book of the Bible, the very first verse. We cannot even do this thing without acknowledging God. I'll just start there. This is not a point, but you're foolish to try to have a good family without God in the mix. Can you do it? Yes, you can do it. Plenty of people have good marriages without God. So I'm not saying it can't be done. I'm just saying you're foolish to try to do it without God's help. And so we show up that, that there was this problem that existed of formless, empty darkness. And God said, let there be light. This is coming to day one. And there was light. Now, 
again, I don't have time to teach on creation. I did it in the Genesis course. But when he says, let there be light, we're not talking about the sun, the moon, and the stars. That comes way later. So what God introduces to us, in my belief, is the DNA of himself. For the Bible says, for God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. So the moment God steps in on day one and says, let there be light, in my thinking, literally what it says is, welcome to me. (laughs) Before a human ever shows up, God introduces himself into the equation. And one thing I know, if you start with his DNA, everything coming after is going to be okay. When you start with God, everything coming down the pipe, if you keep him in the equation, will be okay. may not feel like it, but you got to give him some time. He said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Day one is the unveiling of light. It's the unveiling of who God is. It's the unveiling of himself, but it's not just the unveiling. It is the destruction of the root problem. And the root problem was formless, empty, and darkness. And God is not any of those things. If we go into a study of the book of Isaiah and the book of Jeremiah, it says that God is none of that. He can't even create formless and emptiness. And God is not dark. So day one, he had to deal with the root of the problem. And I find in every person that comes to me for for a family or marriage issue... We typically come with the fruit of the problem. Well, he's this way. She does this all the time. He does that. And what I find is we're so hyper-focused on the fruit that we miss the root of why we do the things we do. Right? But God dealt with the root of the problem. And I often try to tell people, and if you want to come talk to me, I'd love to do it. I have time set aside each week to talk to people. There's no charge. I sit and listen. And, but what I do attempt to do is I, I often attempt to help people define the root of the real problem. Well, he cheats on me. Okay. Let's see if we can find, well, he's addicted to porn. Okay. Well, she overspends. He overspends. He controls me. He manipulates me. He's rude to me. He talks to me. He talks down to me. Well, we don't have sex. Well, I want sex. Well, she doesn't. And we can't communicate. And I don't feel like we're connected. And we don't connect anymore. And I'm not attracted to him anymore. And I, and I hear it all. Like I could just go on and on. And, and I'm just listening. Well, yeah, I heard that. You haven't been there. Yeah, I've heard that. Well, yeah. You think Robin's attracted to this? (laughs) So the reality is what I attempt to do, and it does work, by the way. I'm not boasting on my skills, but, but I'm boasting on the fact that when you discover the root problem, hope arises. You're like, oh my gosh. So that's why I'm looking at porn. Probably so, man. There's probably this root. It's a, it's a drip. It's a, and so the first thing God did before Adam ever got here is he dealt with the darkness and the formless and the void. And a lot of times we ignore the root problem. It's why most men don't go to the doctor. They're sick for years, but they'll never go because they're afraid to hear the real problem. They're afraid, they're afraid of fearful of dying and having a disease, so they just don't go. So they live sick and anemically unhealthy because they don't want to deal with the root problem. 
I have a friend of mine here from Florida who was a golfer, and I, if you've ever golfed with me, I have a great gift to lose like 90 balls around. <laughs> I went one time with Robin years ago. I took her with me, and I hit the ball toward the flag, but it didn't go to the flag. It was as if the devil grabbed that ball and took that ball into the woods, and only as a wife can do in the nicest way, she said, why'd you hit it that way? <laughs> never took her back. <laughs> I thought the best way for me to handle this is never invite this woman to come with me again. Because I didn't want to tell her I hit it in the woods because I'm no good. I wanted to at least feel prideful. So I just had to lie. I just had to make up, well, God must have something over there. I pointed, I pointed to the hole on the other side of the woods and I'm, like, I'm hitting to that hole because that one's really easy. <laughs> But I spoke with our friend, and, uh, and I said, look, I always slice. And she said, well, show me your swing. And so I did. And she said, oh, here's your problem. you got to come from the inside. And, I, and it was true. I went back the next day, and I came in, and I'm like, oh, my, straight down the middle. Well, what did she do? She just saved me 9,482 golf balls <laughs> because she got to the root of the problem. Because I'm turning this way. I'm hitting that way, but I'm aiming this way. Because that's what we'll do, is we'll try everything but the real thing that remedies the root of the problem. So here's the first thing on day one. What we do know is that light, clarity, always best obscurity. Here's what I'll say to you today. You need a plan for your life. I said this on day one when we introduced this, is that Robin and I aren't here today by accident and haphazardness. We got where we got because when we married, we had a plan. And the plan was, difficult as it was, it was our plan. We, you're going to stay home with the girls, and, or we didn't have girls, and you're going to stay home with the children and raise the children. And I'm going to bust hump so you can be home with the kids. And that was our plan. And it was hard, and it was difficult. And sometimes I felt like I worked a lot, a lot, a lot. And, but every time I would come home and see the joy in her heart that she could stay home with the girls and she could go to all of their events and she could be there sometimes when I couldn't be there for various reasons. But we started with a plan. So that meant when it came time, let's get in debt. We can't get in debt because we want you to stay home. So there was always the clarity of what we're fighting for. We're always fighting for each other. We're not fighting for other things. We're going to fight for each other. We're going to fight for our best. That was the clarity. The clarity is we will always put God first. The clarity is we will always go to church. The clarity is we will always be friends. Now, in that clarity of defining that, it has salvaged us a lot of problems along the way. Because we didn't just go into it, oh, I love you, oh, I love you, let's do this thing. Because after about three days together, huh, he leaves his underwear on the floor. He doesn't put the lid down. And then I'm saying, you're a grown-up. Put the lid down yourself. I'll put it up, not to mess you up. We have to put it back down. What are you talking about? You need to put the dishes up. No, you need to put the dishes on this side and stop putting the dishes above the garbage disposal. Who would ever think two humans would fight over this? She puts dirty dishes over the garbage disposal. And I'm like, you can't do that because I have to put them up and move them to here so I can dispose of the stuff that the disposal can dispose of. <laughs> I suddenly don't feel Christian anymore just thinking about this scenario because it just happened yesterday again. <laughs> 
and we've been married 33 years. I'm like, take the blooming things out of, it's just, it's, it's like six inches over. So I can just go, no, I got to pick everybody's cereal bowls up and all the stuff and move it over and it's all piled up and then stop putting the orange pills down there. She says, honey, the garbage disposal can handle orange pills. I say back, no, they can't. It just sits down there going, and then I have to stick my hand down there and hope it doesn't chop me off and pull everything out. And then it's just like a nasty drain full of hair that y'all feel up. Now we're arguing about other things now. The drain's always full of y'all's hair and nothing ever flushes. And every time y'all flush, you lose so much dad blame toilet paper. How much does it take as a woman to wipe? You fill the whole thing up. We have to have nine plungers just to plunge. And then we ran out of toilet paper. They all left me yesterday. I'm home alone. I sit down. No toilet paper. No toilet paper anywhere. Now I got a problem. A big problem. I have a root problem. And because we have dogs, they, they lay outside the door with the door closed. Both dogs just laying there. I can, I can see their breath coming through waiting on me. My, my legs are going to sleep because I got a root problem. I open the door. I'm like, boys, I know we've never trained you for this. Could you go get daddy some toilet paper? Oh, no, there's no toilet paper. There's no napkins in the house. I just had to go old school, just pull up and go. Just drive to public stinking. Dogs follow me like, wow, this is great. <laughs> Nobody tells you that when you're at the altar. Nobody tells you you're probably going to get close to divorcing over toilet paper. Nobody tells you that stuff. You're like, oh, I love you. I love you. I felt no love yesterday. I thought, Phew. <laughs> You're laughing because every last man in here knows the pain. <laughs> you got to have clarity. Clarity is buy more toilet paper. Clarity for your marriage. Let's look at day two. Here we go. So God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that's what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heavens. An interesting thought. God called the space sky. In the evening morning and came on the second day. This is the most intriguing day to me of all days because it's just a, it's a random fact of God made the sky. He made the firmament above and he made the waters below and then he made this little spance that we call the sky. Now in the Genesis teaching I do, that beautiful space that we call sky was the thing that was holding back the judgment of the waters from Noah's day and the thing that's holding back the judgment of the waters on below. Because if you read the, the thing of Noah, the heavens opened up, the firmament dropped the water, and the ground opened up and dropped the water. So God spaces it out. He holds judgment back with the sky. Now, anybody want to know the most brilliant thing that happens in the sky is the rainbow. On day two, before there was ever a Noah and a rainbow, God made the space for it. He's already thinking. Before there was ever a sin, he's already put a remedy of how he's going to communicate to Noah. Look up in that sky, what do you see? A rainbow. Okay, that's a sign of my covenant. 
Day two was the separation of waters above and below. It doesn't mean much until you unveil the grace of it. And the unveiling of grace is that God created a space in the sky. And that sky, the unveiling of that sky is that covenant always beats chaos. Chaos, the water, everybody's dying, uh, animals are dying, people are dying, chaos everywhere, water above, water below, chaos, Genesis 6, chaos everywhere. But in the middle of the chaos was covenant. And it's how two people stay together today is covenant. Because be assured of this, every family in here will taste chaos. There's no way around it because we're human. Humans create chaos. And the reason I say that is because humans by nature are selfish individuals. We have to die to self. We're, we're selfish by nature. Just have a baby and realize mine, mine, no, no, mine, mine. By nature, we're selfish beings. So left to ourselves, you put a man and a woman in a home together, chaos will naturally happen. Not that that's bad. It doesn't mean it's bad. But when the chaos begins to override, we're in a covenant relationship with each other. And nothing is going to split us apart. I know it does. I know things do because sometimes the chaos is so powerful that the covenant is let go of. And that could be abuse. It could be all kind of things. But I have to go into it that I, my spouse, we're in a covenant with each other. And that means that no chaos will ever make me look down my nose at this woman and despise her because over every bit of chaos we may cause each other is the covenant of God that at the end of the day, this is God's daughter. I married God's daughter. Second, she's my wife. But first and foremost, she is the daughter of Almighty God, created by God. And when I speak to her, it's as if I'm speaking to God. And if I disdain her, I disdain God because she is the daughter of the King of Kings. So I have to tell myself, and I hope she does the same, and she does to me, I'm God's covenant son. First and foremost, I'm a child of God Almighty. And how she talks to me is how she talks to God. I would imagine that would, that would eliminate 90% of arguments if when you look at each other and you think you're arguing with them, you look at it, but you're really disdaining God because that is a child of Almighty God. And even God says it to Saul. He said, why are you persecuting me? Wait a minute, I'm just persecuting other people. And so oftentimes there's such chaos because we forgot that the person I'm married to belongs to God first and foremost. And I'm just wearing them out, cussing them out, slamming doors, angry all the time, won't even speak to them. But I don't realize that, that I'm giving that same attitude to God because they're a child of God. Covenant before chaos. I'm just telling you, it's a plan. I'll get it to the end. Day three. And God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. And the land did produce the vegetation, plants and seeds according to their kind and trees bearing fruit with seed in it, according to their kind. And God saw it was good. And again, there's the evening, the obscurity to the clarity, the morning. And that was the third day. Here's day three the ground and seed bearing plants. And what we mean by that is it's the unveiling of sowing and reaping because sowing always best reaping. Always. Always. Even the New Testament will say, tis better to give than 
But when you're receiving, it sure does feel giddy. It's like, whew, I just received. Like we post that. But the way God is set. Now remember, every day you start asking yourself, why is God doing all this? Because every day is an unveiling of grace and grace is a DNA of God's self. So what God is downloading to me, he's downloading to me his clarity. God is downloading to me his covenant. And now God is downloading to me his kingdom plan as you reap what you sow. Years ago, I had a couple sit on my desk. They were arguing. They couldn't even stand each other. They were fighting so mad. She sat here. He sat there. And I asked him one simple question. And I asked it in a very nice, blunt way. I said, why in God's name would y'all ever get married? Why would you do? I even said, why would you do something so stupid to marry each other? And I looked at him and I said, why would you be so dumb to marry her? Because he had told me everything about her. And she had told me everything about him. This is what he said. He said, well, I saw her in the club. And I liked the way she walked. And I was like, okay, that's a start. I looked at her and I said, he saw you in the club and liked the way you walked. And she went, <laughs> I said, well, what did you like about him? And she said, well, I liked his smile. I said, his smile? And he looked at me with his pearly white teeth and was like. <laughs> and I was like, okay, so you liked her walk. You liked his smile. I said, tell me something else, because I don't understand why two people who can't stand each other got married. He told me something else. She told me something else. This is the honest truth, like I would like, but I need to express how true this is. <laughs> By the time I was done saying, why in the Sam Hill did you marry each other? And they started telling all the reasons they fell in love. He got up off the chair, sat on the couch. They had their arms around each other. They kissed each other and they walked out the door as if they had just been married. I, I just, they walked out and I kind of went. I don't even know what I did. I didn't even have hope for them. I had no hope. I'm like, man, y'all should get an attorney. Like, Argh. But what happened is he sowed a little love. He sowed some kindness. She sowed some kindness. I find that a lot of marriages and family problems are stuck on the reaping because they want something, but they're not sowing anything. Well, I just want him to respect me. I just want her to respect me. And I'll talk about all this in depth later. But it's hard to get something out of a partner when you're not sowing into the partner. And by sowing, I mean your words, your time, your attitude, your energy makes a big difference. We'll talk about it in the future. Day four, God said, let the lights appear. Here come the sun, the moon, and the stars. And there'll be signs to mark seasons and days and years. God puts them in the sky. He set the lights to govern, verse 18, to govern the day and the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. The evening and morning came, and it marked the fourth day. Here's day four, the lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars. And it's the unveiling of seasons, days, and years. And as much as I hate to say it, I hate this. I don't like it at all. But time always best trouble. But people divorce because of trouble. Because they never give God time. 
Time is a hard thing. I wish I had time to teach on it. Time is one of the most supernatural elements of God because he's eternal. And, and an eternal God bound us to time. And man, time hurts. When you're praying prayers that aren't answered, time hurts. When you're, when you're sowing but you're getting nothing back, time hurts. When you're in a covenant relationship but it's just chaos, time hurts. It stings. We don't do well. We're, we're a, a now mentality. We're a right now kind of people. We want things right now. And we don't give God time. We typically waste time. And by the time we show up to a counselor or to an attorney, we've spent so much time in trouble because the amount of time God has given you on planet earth needs to be invested to sow so you can reap. Day five. God blessed him and said, be fruitful and multiply. It's a weird day too. Let the fish in the seas and the birds multiply on the earth. And the evening and the morning passed and came the fifth day. This is the funniest day to me. Uh, it's a strange day. On day five, he creates fish and birds. Like, that's it. It's a fish and bird. Like, there's either so many fish, because he knew we loved to fish, and so many birds because they need to poop on your car. I don't know. <laughs> but he took an entire day just to make fish and birds. So long before there was a Jonah that needed to be swallowed, he made the fish. Long before there was an Elijah that needed food, he made a bird. I need you to know this. God is always thinking about the future before you ever get here. Amen. There's not one problem you're in right now that God hadn't already thought about the remedy. Amen. This right here, fish, he's going to use these as a miracle for Jesus when he takes the loaves and the fish. When he needs to pay taxes, this little fish was made because this fish is going to pay Jesus' taxes in 4,000 years. Oh, know this. God's always ahead of you. That's why he says, seek me. The reason he wants you to seek him is not to be religious. It's because he holds all the answers to your future. He holds all the answers to your future. So this is the thought. The unveiling is the unveiling of unique giftings. Whales don't fly. On this day, God made fish and bird. And the one thing I know, whales don't fly. And if you want your marriage to go good, stop trying to get him to become a fly and let him be a whale. And you quit trying to make her a whale and let her be a bird. And the reason most marriages fail is we don't like the uniqueness of each other. We spend our whole time trying to change each other. I'm probably one of the most frustrating things in her life and my personality and her personality, but we're perfect for each other. Because I need her. I need her perfection. I need her analytical mind. I need the way she thinks through things so detailed. But if she doesn't have me, her life would be boring. <laughs> She'd just be stressed out making lists all the time. She'd just have a wall full of lists. But she got kind of a happy ADHD, like, let's just go, let's go, let's just go today. Let's don't plan a thing, let's just go. But we were riding down the road one day, this was years ago, we'd been married a few years, and I said, it's been pretty good, hasn't it? She said, it has been, and I said, well, why do you think so? And she goes, oh, I know so. I said, I think I know too. This is the exact words. She said, because I decided to quit trying to change you and let you be you. And I said, that's weird. I decided to stop trying to change you and just let you be you. And now we go on a date night. We let her be her and me be me. And we just have the best of times. But we had to learn how to grow in this. 
because oftentimes a uniqueness of your partner is frustrating because you don't like that they go to bed at three in the afternoon. (laughs) So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. And God said, look, I've given you, watch what he did. Here's all the unveiling of grace. I've given you every seed bearing plant through the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And he goes on to say this, it it, it even gets better. He says, I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals. Here's the animals, all the birds, all the small animals, everything that has life. And that's what happened. God looked over all he made and saw it was very good and the evening passed and the morning came. Mark the sixth day. Here's the final day, day six. It was the creation of human beings. It's the unveiling of God's image and life always best death. Come on band, come up with me if you will. And as the band comes up, would you put your eyes on the screen? If you want to take a picture of it, you can. I'm going to just give you the plan. Now, I know I ran through that pretty quickly, but here's the plan of the six days of creation. And if you will apply them, it will work. If you will put them into practice when you walk out of here, it will work. Here's the first one. If I can get it to come up. There it is. Discover your clarity. Sit down together and ask yourself, what do we really want here? What are we going for in our children, if you have children? What do we really want out of our marriage together as a husband and a wife? Define the clarity. If you've been angry with each other, why are we still angry? What are you mad about? Why don't we trust each other? Where have we lost our romance? Sit down and define the clarity. I do not mind offering myself as a shepherd. If you want to come sit with me, we can sit down together and I can help you craft that. I don't mind doing that. We could probably within an hour or two sit down and really... Craft, what are you going for? Don't just live haphazardly. The second one is this fight for covenant. Yes, you're going to argue. Yes, you're going to have disagreements, but fight for the covenant. Fight to stay together, not end it. And if you think I'm about to end it, okay, great. But before you do, let's get together and define some clarity. Why are you wanting to get rid of it? Why are you wanting to throw in the towel? Why are you seeking an attorney? Let's look at the covenant. Can we stay together? Can we fix it? Can we find rather than just doing it? The third one is this. So what we want to reap. So husbands, every day, sit down with her and sow, sow words of life to her. Sow to each other. Give to each other. Go on a date together. Go on a walk together. Sow to each other. It's so funny what typically happens with husbands and wives. By the time we get in each other's presence, we're so worn out and burned out, we don't have time to sow anything. Number four, give God time. So many people tap out too soon. I do know people tap out, but dear Lord, give him some time. And by time, I mean, have you gone to counseling yet? Have you met with a pastor? Have you met with a therapist? What have you done? Have you gone to talk to people to help you? Give God some time. Don't just throw it away. Number five, celebrate what makes us unique. Rather than being so irritated at your partner, embrace what makes them unique. I love that Robin's unique. I love that I'm unique. One of the greatest things is just to embrace who you are and love how God made you. It makes for a great marriage. And then the last one is this. Number six, embrace life every day. It is so easy to wake up frustrated. It's so easy to look at all the problems of life, money, 
food costs, life, children, frustrations. I've got to take care of so much. But I've learned to just wake up every day and go, let me embrace life today. Man, I'm breathing today. I have hope today. Stand up with me if you will. I would love you to go with each other out to eat today when you go eat. And I would love it if you would sit down and talk this out. Again, Robin and I offer ourselves to help you. We want you to be successful. I don't want to just preach a sermon to you. I want you successful. Well, bow your heads. I'm going to say a prayer.